Welcome to the podcast where relationships, confidence, and determination all converge into an amazing heartfelt experience. This is Speaking from the Heart. Welcome back to episode 22 of Speaking from the Heart. Today we have an interesting guest, Charlie Liebert. Now I'm going to give you a disclosure and a warning that this episode does talk about suicide, depression, drug overdose, all these different vices that often create havoc for us. So if you are going through a crisis, I cannot stress enough that you should go and seek help, wherever that might be, so that they can get you in touch with professional resources. There is a number that you can call, 988, and that is the National Suicide Hotline, especially if you have those thoughts. I will put a link in the episode notes in case you need to check out more information. But this is a warning that if that is a trigger for you, please stop listening to this episode. Nevertheless, Charlie has had a unique career spanning several decades. He retired from a 33-year career in the chemical industry in 1994, in which he took up speaking, teaching, and writing. And since 1994, he's conducted over 100 workshops and seminars for children and adults about science and Christian apologetics. He's been able to speak about Answers for Genesis, which is a collection of works that he had talked about in this episode. And in 1998, for over a decade, he produced a one-hour weekly TV show in Greensboro, North Carolina, with seminars that are called The Creation Foundation Explanation. He's taught with Davidson County Community College for over 14 years. He had stopped doing that in 2018. He was a charter member of the Carolina Christian Toastmasters that was founded in 2013 in Greensboro. And at the age of 70, he started his writing career in 2012. As of this recording, he has published 16 paperback books and has 19 e-books on Amazon and Kindle, which we talk a little bit about during the episode. And he has published 15 different books for other authors. Charlie and his wife, Terry, live locally near me in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And he has a deceased son, Keith, which we do talk about in this episode, and a daughter, Melanie, along with five grandchildren. I will say that this was one of those episodes that will forever give me more context and more clarity as it relates to not only suicide, but how we can take steps to prevent all of this from ever happening in the first place. With that, let's go to the episode. I'm here with Charlie Learbert. Charlie, thanks for speaking from the heart with us today. Thanks. Great to be here. Absolutely. Full disclosure again for my audience. Charlie is a Toastmaster that I've known for many years, and I've been fortunate enough to know him through that organization, which for many of you that have been listening to this for a while, you know that I'm going to put again in the show notes about Toastmasters, which is a great organization. We'll probably get into some of that in a little bit. But Charlie, my first question to you, because of all the things that you do, I really love that you're really involved with being an author. And I'm just curious because the audience heard a little bit about your background, knowing that you worked in the chemical industry for over 33 years. What turned you into being an author? I've always loved teaching. In fact, I taught for 15 years as an adjunct at a school in North Carolina. And teaching springs into creativity and wanting to write. I wrote a short story back in the 80s 
but it never went anywhere. It was a little Christmas story. And then when I turned 70, I decided I wanted to start my 14th career. It is 13 before this, 14th career. And I said, I want to be an author. And then about six months later, I want to be a publisher. Because I found out that you can publish your own book for free using Amazon's KDP program. And I do that now for myself. I've got 23 items on Amazon. And I published 15 for other authors. So I've done a lot of publication in that sense. I love the part of the authoring that's most exciting is the creativity. About one third of my books are about my family, all kinds of events that happen to my family. There's one novel, and then there's about the other one third is the novel and some of the other fiction stuff. And then the other third is a Christian perspective. For those that are interested in being an author, can you walk us through the process that you did with Amazon to get published officially? Is it a very difficult process? No, it's a very simple process. You need two things. You need a file that you could create a PDF from for the cover, front and back cover. I use PowerPoint to do that. And then you need a document, a dot doc document or a PDF. Most people want to edit in doc. And then that's all you need. You create an account on KDP and you start to work, fill out the form. You got to fill out keywords and the title and all those other things you got to do related to the book. And then you put it up and preview it. And when you're satisfied with the preview, you publish. It goes to paperback, ebook, or hardback, any of the three. And it's incredible that even when I was a kid, you would still have to go to the bookstore to just be able to have a paperback or a hardcover and even to find some of the readings that I would find, which were mostly from Franklin W. Dixon, because I really loved his writing, although that was a surname in itself, thinking specifically of the Hardy Boys and things of that nature. I grew up with that as a kid, so I have to thank my parents for that. But Charlie, I'm kind of curious with being an author, especially, I know that you have a specific genre that you write about. I was wondering if you could share that with the audience and tell us a little bit about how you got yourself into that genre specifically. Actually, I work in three genres, okay? Oh, oh, oh I didn't know that. That's great. I so yeah, tell in, us about I work in, in fiction. I work in basically Christian genre. And I work in the, basically, it's called creative historical nonfictions. You basically take historical events that are known, in this case, events in my family, and elaborate on them with creating fictional backgrounds to tell the story. The story is true, but the actual details are fabricated. For example, one of the things I wrote is I wrote my aunt's survival of the Holocaust. She's a double Jew. She's Her father's Jewish, and she married a Jew. And she's living in Europe in the time of the Nazis. And her survival is a story that I had to create a lot of stuff for it. I had some notes from her, but not much. So I had to create the story. And it's pretty compelling, actually. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, too, especially with the wide variety. And thanks for educating me. I had no idea that you wrote in three different genres. That's incredible. Do you prefer a particular genre over another? And if so, why that particular genre? I work in the Christian and the creative genres, but I really love the fiction genre. You create characters, you create people. And I have one character I'll tell you about, okay? I think is really interesting. The couple involved, this is Yellowstone's Child is the name of the book. Couple involved lose their 10-year-old to brain cancer. So Yellowstone National Park to recover, kidnap a girl who has amnesia and take her home as their daughter. 
during the course of those events, later on, they become rich through an inheritance. And they go to Cayman Islands to pick up the inheritance, which is a bag of diamonds and a couple million dollars. And when they're there, they meet the bank vice president, which is a tall, beautiful, blonde woman, looks like a classical Scandinavian. But she was brought up by her parents, who were Swedish missionaries, in the ghetto in Grand Cayman. So she speaks like a Jamaican, but she looks like a, looks like a, a Northern European. So I'd love to create that character because I could just imagine if it ever goes on film, it'll be great. Okay, I'm thinking of this and visualizing it in my head. I'm thinking that would be really cool to see a film adaptation of something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that's what I love about fiction too is that it allows you to go into worlds that normally aren't possible in the realistic realm and makes you think about maybe the possible maybe the impossible becoming the possible too at some point. But not to draw on authors and what you've done, I know that you've had some television experience and I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit about what you did for 10 years. I love that you did this and I'm not going to spill the beans. I kind of did already with letting okay. the audience know, but I want you to kind of go in depth a little bit about it for us. Okay. I retired at age 53. I'm 80 today. I've been retired for 30 years. Anyway, but when I retired, I went to work for Answers in Genesis, which is a ministry, for about a year. And then I went off on my own, doing my own workshops and seminars. I did workshops and seminars on Bible and science all over the southeastern U.S. for homeschool groups and churches and Christian schools. And when I did that, I took video cameras with me, two cameras, and filmed everything I was doing. And what I would do is I came back to Greensboro and then... Each week, I would produce, take some of the video that I produced from the last couple of times I was out and put together a one-hour TV show. I produced and directed it myself, and I was the sole, not the sole actor. There's all kinds of people in the, in the workshops. But it was showing that and I learned a lot about television production. It's not as simple as you think it is. Trust me, it's not. <laughs> I don't think it's changed in the last 30 years, especially since you were doing it, too. I think it's still just as complicated. <laughs> and it, 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 it's the old, when you're done, fade the black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> That's still the try and true method. <laughs> when you were in Greensboro, North Carolina, the audience knows that you were in Carlisle now. You're literally right down the road from me where we're recording right. this. But I'm wondering, do you see a significant difference from when you grew up in Greensboro to where you are now as part of the cultural differences? Like, have you seen a big shift, maybe just from a locality perspective or a national perspective? I'm just kind of curious, has that had any influence for you in any of your writings too? I grew up in Long Island, actually. Oh, okay. I went to North Carolina after I was married and had two children. We moved to North Carolina. We were there for more than 30 years. But yeah, the South and the North are different cultures. There's no mm -hmm. question about that. I guess the most amazing thing to me was the fact that even though the cultures are different, because I'm a Christian, the transition wasn't nearly as big as it would be for someone who was not, because the church is kind of the same worldwide. It doesn't vary that much, so it's pretty much the same. But the culture was different. Oh, yeah, definitely different. You go to the supermarket, everybody talks to you. In New York, you talk to someone, they think you're trying to do something to them. <laughs> Has that had any influence on your writings whatsoever? I don't think so, because most of my writing has been 
outside of my own personal experience. Other than the book about my son, it's all other people's lives, not mine. Yeah, yeah. I know that for many people, they get the influences from basically any personal experience, might have been some sort of adaptation or things of that nature. But nevertheless, Charlie, I know that you have really laid out a lot with your Christianity and being able to stay firm with that, especially with the things that you have worked on. And I'm wondering, could you tell us a little bit of how you became one? Yeah, sure. I went to a Methodist church with my parents all through my youth. At about 16, I was sitting in the Methodist church, listening to a sermon on the evils of alcohol. And I sat there, looked around me. Everyone around me had been to the yacht club the night before and consumed huge quantities. And I said, this is nonsense. Makes no sense to me at all. I walked out. By the time I was in my early 20s, I was a hardcore atheist. I would sit in a bar and argue what, why there couldn't could be a God. And one of the reasons for that is because I had a best friend. His girlfriend died of cerebral hemorrhage, and he took his own life. Wow. That kind of blew me out. That was, that was it. When Dorothy died, I just kind of gave up entirely on any religious aspect at all. Okay, get married, two children, move to North Carolina. Everybody goes to church. My wife, who is an ex-Catholic, now Protestant, but she, she says, I'm going to church. So she goes to the Episcopal Church in town. I decide, well, why not? I'll go with her. And it was fun. There were lots of good social events, and I didn't pay much attention to what was happening. But then one of my friends, whose life was quite different, and I know now why. I didn't know then. But Frank said, I'm taking on treat weekend. We're going to go away with a bunch of men for a weekend. It started on Thursday, Friday morning. We went out Thursday night, Friday morning. A guy came out and gave a little talk. Three questions. What's your purpose in life? What does life mean? And where are you going? I couldn't answer those questions. And I knew I couldn't answer those questions. I wrestled with that all weekend, troubled, to the point almost of becoming, in a sense, depressed. It was just like, I can't answer those questions. And with my aggressive personality, <laughs> you want to answer them. <laughs> yeah, I went in the chapel on Saturday night, March 20th, 1977, got down on my knees and said, God, if you're real, I surrender. And God, true to his word, took my life. I came back to Greensboro. My wife looked at me as I walked into the room with her and she said, what happened to you? There was a visible difference. I have no idea what it was and she can't describe it. But she said, I knew something had happened. Three months later, she would be converted also. Wow. And that would begin to change everything. When you see people even today that are struggling with their faith or struggling with purpose, especially when it comes to who is in control of all of this, what do you say to somebody that is going through that? In other words, what's your advice to somebody that might be having those questions similar to what you did before you found Christianity? Okay. The question is universal in that sense. And everyone wants to know what's the purpose. And the, the big deal is we're all going to die someday. We know that inside. We don't really know that for real because we never think about it. I found that's one of the most effective ways to promote a person to look for the answers. To say, recognize your own mortality. I know for me trying to figure that out is sometimes even a struggle for myself. And I've let my audience know in previous episodes about that struggle and knowing that finding that purpose sometimes means being able to understand first who you are 
but you know that there's also other opportunities out there if you're willing to accept that too. For many people, Christianity is that. And I totally respect that, Charlie. And I really resonate with that because I want to go into something that's really personal. And I know we talked about before this episode that I know has probably had a profound impact and test you with that. For my audience, Charlie's son had passed away a few years ago, Keith. And Charlie, could you tell us a little bit about the circumstances surrounding Keith's passing away? Let me just talk a little about my son. Sure. He was 51 when he died. And his life was a series of bad decisions and missteps, if you will. He was married three times, none of which was successful. He was in adulterous relationships in all those cases. In high school, he was bullied, and we had to deal with that to some extent. There was all kinds of issues there. So his personality was such that he was somewhat depressive. He went in the military. He was in the military for 19 and a half years. He was wow. in the Coast Guard first, and then later on in the Utah National Guard. And a year ago, March, which is almost 18 months, the two policemen showed up in my office, in my home at 630 in the morning and asked to come in and then told us that my son had taken his own life. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the, the third marriage was coming to an end, and he was having an affair with, if you will, a 19-year-old. Wow. And he was 51 years old. In my Christian faith, what do you do with that? I mean, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I recognized immediately, and this is the Spirit's prompting now, I recognized immediately I had the Job decision to make. You got two choices here. Run to God and seek his his help or curse God and die, which was Job's wife's advice was. And I decided to run to God. So I did. And as a result of that, my wife and I wrote the book. The book is called Suicide's Aftermath, Three Griefs More. And the subtitle is Christian Couples Compounded Grief for Loved One's Suicide. And the reason it's called Loved One and Not My Son is because my son's wife, hates our religion so much that she refused to let me use his name in print. Wow. And since she is the inheritor of the rights to the name, just like him, she could refuse to do that. So the book is entirely about suicide, and it has two great examples in it, but my son's never mentioned. Wow. I have two other examples in there of death that I use, because the three griefs more is... Suddenness of death. Someone dies suddenly, you don't expect it. That adds more grief. Then suicide adds a grief because for the first time you're asking the why question. You don't ask why when somebody dies of a disease or an accident, they died. But suicide, you want to know why because it's self-motivated. And then the third one, of course, is from my pre-Christian perspective, is what's his eternal destiny? Is he heaven or is he hell? And I can't answer that. I, I refuse to answer that question because that puts me in a position where I have to make that decision. And that's God's decision, not mine. You're right. And I have let my audience know early on when I started this podcast about my own suicide attempt. And thank God I didn't finish it because I wouldn't have been able to meet people like you, Charlie, that have grieved and have been able to redeem that grief through works like that. And I just want the audience to know in the show notes, I'm going to put a link specifically to Suicide's Aftermath so that if you like to purchase it, feel free to do so because I think that it's really important to understand this and pay some attention to it, especially if you don't know 
especially the signs that relate to it. For those that are curious and need to know more information, there is a national hotline, 988, which I have publicized before with a previous guest that has talked about this. And I will also put that information in the show notes too. Charlie, I really am touched by the fact that you've taken this and you have made work out of this that other people can read and understand. What made you motivated to do that? Okay. Well, when it first happened, we were broken by the grief. That's the first reaction. Okay, you're broken. I would wake up at two o'clock in the morning, sit on the the side of my bed and cry. I'd weep. I decided I, I had to deal with that. And the book has it inside. I developed what I call my music therapy. And I basically picked six, seven songs that go progressively toward the redemption that's in Christ. It starts off with something you'll really be shocked at. Okay, it starts off with the Les Mis song, Master of the House. You know that song? Yeah, yeah, I've heard it. It's been well, a long time. And, and the the yeah. reason I chose that one first is because I want to recognize my position. I have no position with God in that sense. It's by his grace alone. Mm. It starts there and it is finished by the Gaithers and it ends with because he lives. Because he lives like a face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. That's where the faith came back powerfully. And then the book that's out today has one chapter added a year later. I wrote a chapter a year later, which I had one more piece of music I added to it. Because I found that was very helpful. I'd sit on the bed and weep for a couple minutes. And then I'd put on my headphones, pick up my iPhone, and just play through that series of songs. And by the time I was done, I'd have the strength to go back to sleep and know that uh, God's still in control. First off, I know I said it earlier, but I agree with you knowing that even if Keith was, well, I shouldn't say if. What I should say is that I know that for some people struggling with addiction and different things that are vices in our lives can often be precursors to some of the things that we often act on that might be even more egregious in nature. So to pivot on this, I know you have been in Toastmasters since 2013. You had started in North Carolina with that and have taken that journey up here in Pennsylvania. My question to you is this, knowing now what you have been through and the audience hearing a lot more about what your journey has been like through the latter part after retirement, right. what have you learned and what have you used from Toastmasters to help you with this process that you have just talked about, what you have helped yourself with getting to this point in your authorship, your career of speaking, things of that nature? Being an author is much like being a speaker. You're creating in your mind what you're going to say. You're going to say it orderly if you're going to be in Toastmasters. Or are you going to say it on the typewriter? Typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you meant. And I think there's some people out there that know what you just meant by a typewriter. I know it. I'm validating you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> In the process. Yeah. Well, the process is quite similar because you're formulating stuff in your brain and then bringing it out in some form. It's quite similar. Toastmasters helped me a lot, particularly with the flow. If you read particularly fictional writing, most of the people that read it get caught up in it emotionally because I've learned how to play that in a sense. 
for example, in Yellowstone's Child, uh, the last scene is the family reunion 15 years after when she reveals she's not dead, she's alive. And of course, that breaks up the whole audience. The approach to that, there's a series of events approach to that, and I'm not going to go into the detail, but, but the, that build up the tension where most of my readers that I've had write reviews have said basically, well, my original beta reader, Callie, said, you made me cry four times, twice for joy and twice for sorrow. <laughs> if an author can do that, evoke emotions to the point of reaction, that's powerful stuff. I tell my clients that when they're going through public speaking, especially through my business, I say that it's important to have the emotion with it, showing not only the authenticity of yourself, but also creating that value for the audience to take away as to the connections that we were trying to make through our points, what right. the purpose is. And storytelling is not all that much different when it comes to that. It just has different, not just different terminology, but the same premise like you just described is truly important with that said when we're looking at the authors that are doing something similar as you are what would you say makes you distinctive from those other authors in other words why should i go and pick up a book from you as opposed to other books I, i've written a bunch of stuff myself but the last one i did was an autobiography of another person and I contributed a large part of the approach that the book takes. The book takes the, the approach of a, assembling a puzzle. This particular person has a disastrous life. Three failed marriages, burned out once, flooded out three times, mental breakdown, collapse, hospitalization, everything you'd ever want to imagine going wrong, went wrong in Liz's life. And the reason for that is simple. God's preparing her for a work that only she could do because she suffered from addiction for 16 years old. She was addicted to alcohol from the very beginning. So she went through all those processes. And then in her 50s, her late teen son committed suicide because of a video game. And because of Liz's life experience and her work experience in technology, she was able to found a ministry called Online Gamers Anonymous which helps people that are addicted to video games recover. And her story is now in the book we just finished. It's an amazing story. And it's assembled like a puzzle. In fact, the front cover is a sack of puzzle pieces. <laughs> that sounds like something I would want to assemble myself. <laughs> she is Roman Catholic through almost all the experience. At the very end, after the ministry is founded and she starts to see success, she actually comes to Christ. She becomes a Christian. It's kind of an amazing story. And her point and mine in working with her is God's hand was there from the beginning. Although you couldn't see where he was going, he knew where he was going. And your life is shaped that way. Now my Presbyterianism is coming out now. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not judging you. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that, you know, that God is in control. When the news of my son's death came to me, I went through that Job decision. Run to God or flee from God. And everyone has to make that decision ultimately because that's going to determine your eternal destiny. And I think that's so important because we do have two choices. Yes. We could either accept it for what it is, meaning that, yeah, I'm going to live with this the rest of my life. I'm not going to take any action with it, but I'm going to have to take a big step back and let this consume me. Or I can do something about it. 
I can take it like a bull by the horns and know that I can create some value from it. And you've done that, Charlie. You've even proven that even with this conversation that we've been having, which leads me to this question, which is going to be my final question as we're getting closer to the end of time here. You have lived a very rich career, not only in the professional realm for 33 years within the chemical industry, but also being able to teach, being able to be an author, to be a speaker, to go through all these life's obstacles with your wife, Terry, your daughter, Melanie, the five grandchildren that you have, even losing Keith. What would you say has been the most defining moment in your life and why? The most defining moment in my life is in Asheville, North Carolina, on Saturday, March 20th. When I got down on my knees and I said in my heart, God, if you're real, I surrender. Because that defines everything that comes after. My wife would do it three months later and God would take a marriage that was absolutely going to fail and put it back together. That's the one of the most amazing things. We still have conflict. That's not surprising. <laughs> Anyone that's married knows that, knows that story. But that's the most defining moment. Now, one of the things that I share when I went to, at my age now is the bucket list. I have only one thing left on my bucket list. There's one thing I haven't done that I still want to do, and I probably won't ever get to do it, and that's hot air balloon. I've jumped out of an airplane. I've done the scuba diving. I've done all the stuff in those areas, but I've not done that. And that's the one thing that's still on my bucket list. All right, listeners, listen up. Charlie has one last item on his bucket list. Let's get him on a hot air balloon ride so that he can cross that off finally. I know <laughs> there has to be somebody that's listening to this that's going to help you, Charlie. That's I'd my promise. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. Charlie, I want to give I you don't a think my wife will go though. No, no, we won't say anything. It just stays between you and I and okay. the, my listeners. <laughs> We're good. Charlie, I want to give you a few moments. How can we reach out to you and also find all these incredible books that you have written and even to maybe schedule some time with you if they want to learn a little bit more about you too? Okay, sure. The easiest way to do it is to go to my website. It's called sixdaycreation.com. It's all one word, daycreation.com. All my books are listed there and all the books I publish for other authors. Everything is there. You just go through it and look for whatever you want. Search the site. The site is very rich. It has all my YouTube. I've got about 40 items on YouTube, visual things from my seminars. It has a bunch of responses to questions. Some of my books that answer questions too. I blogged for three years. That's in the book. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there to look at. But if someone has a question, okay, the best thing to do is to contact me directly by email. And that's charlie at sixdaycreation.com. It's C-H-A-R-L-I-E, Charlie. Awesome. And I'll make sure I'll put all that in the show notes so that anybody okay. wants to access the website or even wants to email you directly, I'll make sure that they can do that. I deal with everyone, okay? I mean, I have, I have atheists coming to me all the time well, in the old days. I don't do anymore because I don't do a lot of promotion anymore. But you know, I, I had them coming all the time. And open, I always frustrated them. Open invitation for everybody. <laughs> Charlie, exactly. thank you for speaking from the heart with us today. And my heart goes out to you, even after all these years, knowing about Keith's passing. And I just want you to know that this episode is dedicated to him and all the things that he has gone through, knowing that there's people out there that might be struggling, 
but there is hope and you have given that hope, especially with our conversation today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Josh. It's been a pleasure. This was a very insightful interview with Charlie, and I've gotten to know him over the last several years, and especially the realm of Toastmasters, and even being able to learn a lot about what he's been able to do in the realm of being an author was something that I followed very lightly. But after having some of the questions answered that I did, it was really a great surprise to me about not only the things that he's been doing throughout his retirement, which has spanned amongst a longer career than even other things that he's done, but it's also been a reminder for me that we're never done with the work that we can potentially do, no matter what kinds of things stand in our way or things that we think that we are done with and we need to continue to do in another way, or we reinvent ourselves completely. And Charlie was one of those individuals that I didn't even get a chance to talk to him about even his 33 years in which he had a professional career, because the second career, the 14th career, in other words, that he has been able to have has been something that has been really interesting to just digest. There are a lot of things that when I listened to Charlie's story, I had to take a step back from the microphone and even pause to think about what I wanted to truly say, because Charlie's life has been one of those lives in which I feel even at my young age, I continue to work through and I continue to try to develop value, not only for myself, but even for the people that are around me, my friends, my family, even my co-workers that I have at my full-time job, along with the people that I get to interact with, with your speaking voice. and. The biggest thing that I could think of when I was pondering about this was just about Keith's passing. We often don't know what somebody is going through, especially when we are living our own lives. We're thinking that especially somebody that's older and going through some of the things that they're processing in their lives are something of value for themselves, that we don't need to necessarily step in. And usually that is the thought process that we have, especially when it comes to family, that they are doing something for themselves. They are taking care of business. They are going through things that we often don't want to lean on them for because we know that they are going through a lot of things, especially with raising a family. Keeps passing reminds me a little bit of the choices that I could have made three years ago in my own life. There was a lot of things even up in the air back then as to how the content of my character was going to be evaluated amongst a lot of different people. I freely have admitted in previous episodes about my own struggles, my own setbacks, my own things that have been barriers. Keith's story, when Charlie was talking about it, reminded me so much of the things that stood in my way. No, it wasn't drugs. No, it wasn't things that were happening in my own life that were creating those disconnections. I did have problems with messing around with other people. I did have problems with feeling like I was worthy. I did have problems with living with the ghosts of my past, standing around me, ridiculing me, thinking that I would never be good enough. Something clicked with me when Charlie said that he was saved back in the 1970s. 
in which he was talking about what that experience was, especially as Terry, his wife, was commenting on the ways in which Charlie could make his own mark in this world. And I have to say that we all write our sheets of music, and if you caught on to what Charlie was saying about even some of the things that he was writing about and incorporating some of that music as it relates to those various passages of time, I feel that we all have our own sheet of music that we are composing for ourselves. Are some of the tunes out of tune? Yes. Are some of the lyrics that we write up not make any sense whatsoever? Yes. Do we always have to go back and make sure that we have a seamless composition in which we can create value for each other and for ourselves? Yes. The biggest commonality in all of that is the ability to say, this is mine. This is my opportunity. And I know that for many of us, maybe you're not religious. Maybe you're going through the same process Charlie did before he found Christianity. Or maybe whatever religion of choice that you have. But we all find something that we can provide that support. And being that I'm an agnostic myself, going through some of those processes and thinking about what people can help me to become if I just believe and put trust in that higher power, I know that sometimes it can be very tough. But when I work with my clients, I don't ever assume. And I don't want to assume either. The reason for all of that is because we all come from different walks of life. We all have different pieces of music that we're putting together. In other words, we are assembling that puzzle of life in front of us with the millions of pieces that often have to be combined into other pieces so that we're able to create that wonderful picture that is on the front of the box. But sometimes that box that we often think that we can look at is not there. It's gone. I think Charlie had that experience when Keith passed away. But he found something that gave me hope in my own life when it came to dealing with even the things that I have lost. And that is to bring awareness, to be able to start something that you can truly believe in, and that there is redemption through sin, through whatever vice that you've had, or even the things that you're doing right now you can find a way in which to overcome. When I hit stop on the recording, Charlie and I talked a bit more about what some of the things are in his book, Suicide's Aftermath. And without getting into more detail, because I encourage all of you to go pick up that book, and I said to him I would myself because I was really interested in learning more about the various stories that he has and the various things that he wrote about. He mentioned a story about someone in the book that sometimes even when you have help, sometimes when that help is on the way, sometimes even then that can be too late. It's never too late, though. You have to find it in your heart. You have to find it in the strength of the things that you do to keep pushing forward. It's sometimes not the easiest path to walk on, and I know that for many of us, we want to give up. There isn't a time, time again, in which I wanted to give up in my own life. Maybe even give up on some of the things that I have been working on, even on a personal and professional level. But there's always been something deep inside of me that has told me, Joshua, you can do this. Don't quit. 
I don't know what that voice sounds like for you. And I don't know what that is that's in the back of your mind that's always pushing you and persevering you. I don't know what your motivation might be. But I know this much. Whenever we have the ability to make apples into apple pie, whenever we're able to make grapes into wine, whenever we are able to make pops and barley into beer and all the different things that we have on this earth, it all takes time to make that final product of ourselves. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen the next day after that. It takes a process in which you can be whatever you want to be in your first iteration of your life, but it's never too late to go back to another part of your life, even if there's 14 tries to do it and counting. And I think Charlie has reminded all of us that no matter what it is, alcohol, sex, drugs, whatever the things are that are throwing you down into that depressive state, you know that you have it inside of you. And I know that there will be people waiting for you, just like me, on the other side, extending their hand, ready to help you no matter where you go. Because in this world, there is hope. Thanks for listening to episode 22 of Speaking from the Heart, and I look forward to hearing from your heart very soon. Thanks for listening. For more information about our podcast and future shows, search for Speaking from the Heart to subscribe and be notified wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at www.yourspeakingvoice.biz for more information about potential services that can help you create the best version of yourself. See you next time.